So good to have you on this Valentine's Day. And isn't it better to be uh, in church on Valentine's Day than to be in front of a TV watching Hallmark movies all day long? Amen. I know the men have got an amen on that one. They clap. There you go. Thank you. All right. Very good. So good to have you on this Valentine's Day. Well, a woman woke up one morning and she turned to her husband and she said, Honey, I just had a dream that you bought me a new gold necklace. What do you think that means? And he said, I don't know, but Valentine's Day is in a few days, so I'll let you know soon enough. And so a few nights later, she again woke up having a dream. And she said, this time I dreamed you gave me a pearl necklace. What do you think it means? He said, I don't know, honey, but you'll know on Valentine's Day. And so the morning of Valentine's Day, she woke up again and she told him about another dream that she had. She said, this, this time I dreamed that you bought me a diamond necklace. What do you think it means? He said, well, tonight you'll know. Tonight uh, you'll find out this Valentine's Day evening. And so that evening, husband came home with a package, opened it, gave it to his wife. And she was so excited. She opened it up and it was a book with the title, The Meaning of Dreams. <laughs> so husbands, boyfriends, do not ever do that. Do not ever do that. And I think about what I was like when my wife and I first started dating and had our first Valentine's Day. And I really did some embarrassing things. And not that like that, but other things similar. And, you know, I had been single a while, wasn't used to having a girlfriend. And now we've been together over 20 years and we've dated for over 20 years, married for 17. And I still do unintelligent things from time to time. But I've learned, and my wife and I joke that we're not the same people that we married. Amen. You know how that is. You're not the same person. And in many ways, that is a good thing. <laughs> Careful over here. <laughs> many times that's a good thing. Over time, relationships, marriages especially, they go through changes. They go through transitions. And hopefully these transitions are good because it means we're growing as people. And the same can be said for our spiritual lives. From the moment we're saved, we start undergoing a process of sanctification, being made in the image of Christ. We start becoming more of the person that God wants us to become, made into the image of Jesus. But we still have that old person inside of us that wants to go back to the old person, back to the old ways of the world. And so in this passage today, we're going to look at several transitions that God gives us and helps us as we go through our life by the power of his grace. So we're in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul says, talking about how believers are heirs, according to the promise of God, he says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent 
the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Heavenly Father, as we continue to worship this morning, we thank you that we are no longer slaves, that we are now sons and daughters, children of God for those who have received your salvation through Christ Jesus. So Lord, as we continue to worship today, we pray that we would look at this passage of Scripture and that you would instruct us into our own lives of how as we are trying to be transformed and allowing you to transform us by your grace, that you would show us where and how and when we can be transformed as we make these transitions in our lives. That we're not the same people we once were. We are new people, new in Christ, new creations, as you have created us to be. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that my words today reflect your heart and your words. And I pray that on this Valentine's Day, we can feel the love of you, Father, for his children. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you today three transitions that we can make upon salvation when we become saved. Three transitions that we are to make when we're saved. Number one, by God's grace, we've been rescued from spiritual childhood. We've been rescued from spiritual childhood. Look at verse 1. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers and until the date set by his father. So a person's heir with someone who is legally and is someone, as you may know, is legally entitled to another person's property. So in the biblical world, this would usually be the firstborn son. Now, this person wouldn't necessarily get all the inheritance, not necessarily, but he would get the majority of it. And so in the previous section, Paul briefly mentions that by God's grace, through faith, all believers are heirs in God's family. But what is it that we are heirs to? What do we inherit? Well, basically, we inherit his kingdom. And in these verses, Paul makes a distinction that an heir and a slave, however, are similar in some ways. He said that heirs are free. They're free men and women, but they are still under the management of the estate by the authorities. So if you had an eight-year-old and their, their father died and they were an orphan, they would have that estate, you know, so to speak, but they couldn't run it because they wouldn't be at the proper age. You don't let eight-year-olds or even 10-year-olds or even 12-year-olds run your household, and so there would be a manager. So in the biblical times, usually this, this heir would be under partial management until about age 14. And then about age 25, uh, they would have full management of the estate. So they, they were free, but they really didn't have the rights that they needed to have. Slaves who are not free are also under the management of the estate. So he's saying they're similar in this way. What is his point? Verse 3. In the same way, he says, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. 
He's saying that before faith, we were like an heir who had yet to come into the inheritance. We had virtually no rights to it. There was a promise of inheritance to come, but we had not experienced it yet. And likewise, all people, he says, are spiritual slaves to the elementary principles of the world. These principles are the philosophies and the will and the, and the causes of the unbelieving world. Unbelievers will follow all sorts of wrong religions and all sorts of teachings and philosophies and political movements and all sorts of things that are of the world. And the teaching of the Judaizers, who, who was the reason that this letter was written, was that one must become Jewish before they become a, become a Christian. That in order to become a Christian, you had to do all what the, the Bible commanded, and you had to become a Jew and then a Christian. But this would be like going back into bondage, spiritually speaking. It would be like going back into a form of spiritual slavery. Paul is concerned that the Galatians are like children who grew up. They received their inheritance. They had no manager anymore. They could do what they wanted. But because they rejected the tenet of being saved by faith alone, they have fallen back into that spiritual childhood. They have given themselves a manager for some reason to restrict them of that freedom. They've fallen back into spiritual moralism. They've fallen back into spiritual slavery. It would be comparable to an adult acting like a child again as someone who is a trustee making decisions for their inheritance. Now, sometimes my older children will act like my youngest, but they don't really act like my youngest. I have a 14-year-old and a 12 and an 8 and a 2, and sometimes they might act like a little kid. But if you saw a real 14-year-old or a real 12-year-old really act like a 2-year-old, it would probably be pretty disturbing. I mean, I'm not talking about not having a tantrum every now and then, but if a real 14 or 12-year-old act like a 2-year-old, it would be strange. In fact, as we were singing here, my 2-year-old ran right around the corner. I almost got on the stage, and the sister pulled him up real fast because he didn't quite understand what's going on in here. If you had saw a 14-year-old run around the corner and get on the stage, you'd be like, what's wrong with that person, right? So, yes, they can act like children, but a 14-year-old is not really going to act like a 2-year-old. You know, when my 14-year-old has a nightmare, I don't pick him up and carry him and put him in my bed like my two-year-old does. It's a different situation. What he's saying is when you go back and you give something in addition to Christianity, in this case the law, you are like a free person who has an inheritance, who's come back and say, I want to be under the law again. I want a manager again. I want something to tell me what I can and cannot do anymore. And he says, that doesn't make any sense because you have been rescued that. You've been free from that. You are free to live in the beauty and the glory of Christ. Don't put laws back on top of your faith. Part of God's grace in our lives is that he has rescued us from going back and acting like little children, spiritually speaking. As we grow in the faith, we start acting like adult believers. We don't have a two-year-old temper tantrum when we don't get something we shouldn't have. Hopefully we grow out of that over time. And that's part of the freedom 
in Christ. But if we go back and we take moralism and we, and we put it back on top of faith, we're like a little child that's saying, oh, no, I'm not, I don't want this anymore. I want to have someone telling me what I have to do all the time and making decisions for me. And he says, no, 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 you've grown through that. You have an inheritance. By God's grace, you have an inheritance and you are freed from that spiritual childhood. You've grown. So that is second transition we have, first transition we make. The second one is that by God's grace, we have been rescued from spiritual slavery. Rescued from spiritual slavery. Look at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And this phrase, the fullness of time, is similar to saying that at just the right time, at just the right time, Jesus came. Jesus was always God's plan for humanity. Sin did not take him by surprise. Jesus was always God's plan. God could have chosen any time period for Jesus to come back to the world. He could have chosen 1000 BC. He could have chosen 1025 AD. He could have chosen 2021, but he didn't. He chose the time that he did when Jesus came through the incarnation. And Jesus, being fully man and fully God, existed in eternity past as part of the Trinity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But yet at the time of his birth, God chose the time that he did to send the Son to earth. And when he did, Jesus came into the world like we all do, with birth from a woman. He was born in the same world we're born into, lived the same life we lived, a world that needed God's law to guide it. It's the, same, it's the same world that needs God's law to show us what's right and wrong. We talked about this last week. This same law shows us that we, when we transgress the law, when we have broken God's laws, God's law is just a reflection of his character. It's a reflection of who he is as an entity, as spirit. And so he sent Jesus then to redeem us. So what does it mean to be redeemed? Well, it's a marketplace term. It means to buy back. It was often used in terms of a slave being purchased for his or her freedom, or many times a slave purchasing their own freedom. See, before Jesus, we are slaves to sin. We're slaves to lawbreaking. We may think we're living the life we want to live and doing what we want, but we are incapable of making good choices all the time. We're going to go to what our sinful desires want us to do. In Christ, we have the freedom to not do that because we have the Holy Spirit in our lives directing us. We don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. In fact, if we do sin on some level, it's because we've chosen to. Because of the Holy Spirit convicting us and giving us grace and empowering us and helping us. And through Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection, he has bought us. He has purchased us. We were on the slave market, and he came and he took us. He redeemed us. So we are no longer slaves. We are sons. We are daughters. We are actually, as we're going to see even more than that, we are God's children. 
He didn't just buy us, we became a part of his family. And that takes us to number three. By God's grace, we have been adopted into a spiritual family. In verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You know, I have four children, natural children, and I've never adopted a child, and, and many people have, and some in here have. And I'm not trying to make light to when I tell you the story about adoption of children. The, the closest thing I can relate to is, is getting a, a dog, bringing something into your family. And I have a, a, I have a five-month-old, 44-pound dog now that came to us in October as if we didn't have enough chaos in our life. We just brought a dog in, right? And she's kind of part of our family now. She doesn't know why she's there. I don't know why she's there, but she's there, right? But she knows she's a part of the family. So when I go out and play fetch with her, from a very early age, when she was very young, she's still young, but when she was still small, I'd throw a ball, she would naturally get it and bring it back. But I would throw it, and she wouldn't do anything with it. And then I would say, bring it back, or I would give her little noises. But the second I said, bring it back to daddy, she turns and brings it back. I don't know why. And I sent a video to my mother, and she's like, you know, she never, she, I don't know if you realize this, but it's a video of me doing this to my mom. She goes, you know, she never came until, she, until you said, bring it back to daddy, and then she would come. And sure enough, I was playing fetch with her yesterday, and I threw it out a couple times. I said, bring it back. And she wouldn't do it. And finally I said, bring it back to daddy, and she took it right back. She knows who her daddy is, even though she's a dog. She understands that. She gets that. I'm the daddy. I don't know if I told her that. I don't think I brainwashed her into that. But she knows who it is. When we're adopted into God's family, we're much more valuable than a dog. We have a new father. This is what he says, verse 6. Our carts cry out, Abba, Father. See, with sonship, being a part of God's family, we receive a special benefit. We receive the Holy Spirit. Look at John 14. Jesus is saying this, talking to his disciples. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Just like a son or a daughter cries daddy to the father, we have the spirit of God's son crying the same thing. The Holy Spirit that indwells all born-again believers cries out in need for the father. Because, we, because of this, we're no longer slaves to our sin. We are sons and daughters of God. And if we are his children, we are his heirs. Because we're his heirs, Peter writes this, 1 Peter 1. He says this. Blessed be the God of our Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, born again to a living hope. See, our hope never dies. It's alive. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What do we get? We get an inheritance that is imperishable. Our inheritance will never fade, will never perish, will never go away. It is undefiled, it is unfading, and it is kept in heaven for you. 
And you who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Isn't that amazing? God's guarding us through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, the Bible has this idea of we are saved, and right now we are being saved, and our salvation is complete upon the last day when we see Jesus face to face. And we are resurrected. We are given a new resurrection body, and we are in heaven forever. We have a guaranteed inheritance that will not perish. It will not become tainted. It will not disappear. And it's being kept in heaven for us. We are now part of a spiritual family. My oldest daughter, she goes to school for basically musical theater. That's what she does. And when she was in third grade, in chorus, she had a performance where all the third, fourth, fifth grade chorus all sang songs. And they sang Hard Knock Life from Annie. And, you know, as a little boy growing up, and then as a middle schooler, high schooler, I didn't watch Annie, you know. I was playing sports and doing things. My sister watched it, and I didn't want to watch it. So, but now with two girls, I find myself watching all these shows like Disney princess movies and things. And all these things I missed out of, I never watched. I'm watching now. I'm like, oh, yeah, these are kind of good, you know, watch them, you know. So I've seen Annie a bunch, and I've heard it a bunch as we walk going down the, the road, and we have a DVD player, and so I can hear it, you know, behind me in the car. And when she performed the song, she was out front and she sang the song. She's supposed to sing, I think, just for a few verses, but she stayed out there the whole time. And she was all, I have a video of her third grade singing and dancing and singing this Hard Knock Life song. And so as, as you watch the movie, and now I'm more in the Broadway play, of course, before, I'm more familiar with it. You know, Annie grew up in, an, well, she was in an orphanage. And it was a hard knock life because she had to do all these horrible things. Nobody loved them. They had to take care of themselves. And they had to do all this cleaning and everything. And when Annie moves from the orphanage to Daddy Warbucks's mansion, it's an incredible change for her. She comes in, she sings a song, she sees this butler, and she sees all these things. They even have a dog named Sandy there, just like my dog's name, which is funny. It's not why we named her that. I named mine from the movie Grease, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> but she sees all these people, and she says, all this is for me? Yes, it's all for you. Anything you want, whatever you want. And she went from having nothing to having everything, having no possessions to having a fortune. And that hard not life that she sang about, she had this promise of tomorrow, and it was better than everything that she could have imagined. When you know Jesus Christ, you go from having nothing to having it all. And one day you will enter the gates of heaven and you will see Jesus face to face and you will look around and you will say, all this for me. And God will say, yes, it's for all my children to enjoy. What have I done to earn it? Nothing. You believed in me and it's all for you because of my love for you. We were slaves, we were orphans before Christ. After Christ, we are his children who have an inheritance that is imperishable. And as fun and as wonderful as, as Daddy Warbuck's mansion was, heaven will be so much better. And even now, even now in our life, we'll still have struggles, we'll still have heartaches, but we have the living hope in Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance that will never be taken away from us, that is sealed by the blood of Jesus.
We look forward to that day when God's love on this Valentine's Day, when God's love for us is perfected in eternity. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've given us in Christ Jesus. And on this Valentine's Day where some people love it and some people do not like it, some people it brings back great memories, some people it brings back bad memories. But we can sit in here today and worship you in spirit and in truth. And we can hear about the love you have for us. In a strange way, Lord, you are the ultimate valentine. That you've loved us and given your life for us. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we've experienced, no matter what life throws at us. That those who've placed their faith in you have this inheritance that will never fade. It will never go away. And one day we will see you. We will see everything that you've given us. And we will marvel that even though it's all about you in heaven, Lord, you've given it to us for us. We thank you for that. Father, if there's one in here today that has never placed their faith in you before, that they would do so today. That they would turn from their sins and the slavery and the bondage that keeps them down. And they would turn to you and that you would break those chains in their life. And they would become a child who needs no guardian anymore. And they would come into the inheritance that is made for them. Father, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.